Hello, Deconstruction community. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. Just as a trigger warning, a lot of these topics will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. And this is the official first episode of the podcast, and I am super excited to have Brandon Robertson on the show today. And for a little bit about Brandon, he is a progressive gay minister who helps those from traumatic religious backgrounds rethink what faith and spirituality can look like. His biggest platform is TikTok, where he engages regularly with questions. He has been featured on the Good Morning America website and in Rolling Stone. He is also an author that addresses Christianity and LGBTQ plus issues. Thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on the show. And I know we originally planned for an IG Live, but I finally decided to make it a podcast. Well, thanks for having me on this first episode of your podcast. I'm so grateful <laughs> um, for space to talk about these things. Oh, yes, most definitely. So this podcast is really about like getting into the personal stories of people li people's lives. And like, of course, we're going to talk about your work towards the end. But, you know, I think it's always so interesting to me to interview all these different people and hear their very raw and personal stories really behind, you know, like where they started and who they are today and the work that they're doing. And, you know, usually the first question that I ask is really less, just starting in the beginning of like talking about your childhood and, you know, how religion revolved around that and how you got involved with your religion. Totally. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we had, in some senses, a similar uh, religious upbringing. Yes. Um, I grew up non religious, however, uh, but I had like a very abusive family environment. And so by the age, of 12, um, I was like very mentally broken down. I was struggling with depression and uh, thought of suicide and things like that. And it was in that moment that my neighbors uh, invited me to start coming to church with them. And they were good uh, fundamentalist Baptists. Uh, and so uh, I reluctantly, not because I was afraid of religion, I didn't know much about religion, but I just didn't know what the whole church thing was going to be about. But I ended up going with them. Mm -hmm. And after attending a few times, um, frankly, it was the the welcome that I received from that community, this Baptist church in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, super conservative. I didn't know anything about politics or theology at the time. I was twelve, but uh, but they they were happy to see me and they welcomed me and they were uh, they just surrounded me and embraced me and incorporated me into the life of the church. And so that kept me going. And really, it was after about four months of being a part of that community and hearing the pastor articulate a message um, about a God who had a plan for my life and who loved me and um, who, who could redeem the pain and suffering that I had gone through already. That caused me to have a conversion experience. Uh, we would have said I got saved, went down the aisle, gave my life to Jesus. Um, and really since that point forward, uh, I've never looked back. Um, I spent a few more years in that fundamentalist church, but really I was blessed in the sense that, like I said, my family wasn't religious. And so even though that was my religious, my first exposure to religion was fundamentalist Baptist churches, um, I was able to explore very early on other 
ways of being Christian. And it was the early days of the internet. I feel so old saying that, but like getting on YouTube and finding uh, other pastors uh, saying different kinds of things about, about God and theology. And so very early on, I had the ability to be curious, which mm -hmm. led me out of the Baptist church after about four or five years there. Um, and I had a slow progression from that point forward to, I would say more and more inclusive ways of being Christian. Mm, yes. So when you first went to that church, were there any, did you question anything at first? Or did you think, oh, wow, like this is legit. I love this. Or were there a few things that you didn't enjoy, but you're like, oh, I like this overall. Like, how did you feel about that environment when you first entered into it? Yeah, I, I really did love it. And I think the thing that this is what happens to many of us as young kids in conservative religious environments. My life was unstable uh, at the point that I entered into the church. And I didn't really, because I didn't grow up religious, I had no framework to think about what the meaning of my life was, what the purpose of my life was, if I had a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so this church provided me with certainty. It provided me with answers. It provided me with stability very early on, which I think is very helpful for young people to have. I mean, that's part of the early stages of intellectual development is as a young child, you're given facts and figures about how the world works. Yes. And that gives you a platform to then move forward and start getting into the more complex um, ideas about reality in the world and purpose and meaning and all of those things. So when I entered the church, I was grateful that they gave me a worldview that gave mm -hmm. me all the answers. Um, I believed like God gave us laws and these were things that we had to follow. And if we followed them, I would be blessed and I would go to heaven when I died. And so really by the age of 12, I had all of life's big questions figured out and it was really helpful in that season. Now, eventually uh, a few years later, that became very unhelpful, but um, in that initial few years, um, it was, it was great. I mean, yeah, I think with these fundamentalist religions, they really help people with the need for certainty. And they give us all the answers for life, like right then and there, like you don't have to question anything, like they have the answers for you, you don't have to think. <laughs> they have all, all the big answers to the big questions. And so, you know, I know that you are a gay minister and so growing up in a fundamentalist Baptist church and being gay, I'm sure that was hard. And like, I grew up, you know, being in the closet in a fundamentalist church and it was a psychological hell. And I can imagine, you know, also for you that that was very difficult. So like around what age did you feel like you started questioning your sexuality and maybe understanding that you were gay? Yeah. It's a, it's a hard question for me because on one sense, there were certainly signs all throughout my life. Uh, but, but I also, I've always kind of identified, I've used different language to describe my sexuality because it's always been kind of fluid. I do identify mm. as primarily, but like growing up, um, when I was in the fundamentalist church, I recognized that I had what I would have identified as a struggle with same-sex attraction. Uh -huh. But I was also able to, I dated a girl in the church uh, and, and it wasn't, it didn't feel inauthentic to be doing that. And so it, for those early years, while I did struggle towards the end of my time in the fundamentalist church, when I realized that 
I had the struggle with being gay within me and that the church said that this was a damnable sin. That definitely caused me some mental anxiety and anguish towards the end of my time there. But my real struggle with sexuality didn't really pick up until college. Um, oh. And that's when I really had a traumatic experience of like, wow, this is, I am mostly gay. I'm mostly attracted to men. And therefore I need to figure out what that means if I'm going to be within this evangelical world. Um, and where I'm at today, quite obviously the evangelical world did not accept that. Uh, and I ended up in a very different place. Thank, thanks be to God for that. But, um, but yeah, so the fundamentalist church, definitely the homophobic sermons that I heard and the teaching against homosexuality did begin having an impact on me at those early ages of middle school and high school, but it didn't really manifest until later for me. Yes. So for anyone who doesn't know about like fundamentalist churches, some people, when I've talked to them about it, they don't even recognize it. They're like, oh my gosh, like I never went to a church like that. So for people who aren't familiar, could you really talk about some of the toxic teachings in these churches and even some of the more specific homophobic teachings they have? Yeah, so in the kind of churches that you and I seem to have grown up in, um, they identified as independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches. Uh, we were literally called the IF, IFBs, I think is what yes. it's called. Uh -huh. And so this branch of Protestant Christianity comes out of a crisis that happened in the late 1800s of America called the fundamentalist modernist controversy. And what happened there was science became a thing. And people started learning about evolution. And it was in that period of enlightenment where we just started learning that some of the assumptions humanity had had for a long time uh, were just not true, that we had new ways to think about how the world worked and how we got here and what, what was going on in the cosmos. And that started undermining some of the claims of Christian faith. And so in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s, there was a group of Christians who reacted to that. They called themselves fundamentalists. And they said, we've got to reject science. We've got to reject this historical criticism of the Bible. And we've got to just affirm that everything in the Bible is scientifically, historically, factually true. And that was something that had never been done before in Christian history. If you look at how Jewish people have always interacted with scriptures, it's never as a science book. It's never as a historical primary text. It's as this text that's filled with different kinds of meanings. And uh, it's primarily a spiritual text, not trying to talk about how the world was actually created. So when the fundamentalists take this approach, they start forming all sorts of very rigid beliefs. Um, like funny beliefs that we look at now and can laugh at, like the earth is 6,000 years old, based on a very strange <laughs> of Genesis. <laughs> but then they, of course, also take their, their modern interpretation of verses like Leviticus 18.22, which says, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman, for this is an abomination. And there's a later passage in Leviticus that talks about people who engage in whatever Leviticus 18.22 is talking about should be stoned to death. Oh. And as a fundamentalist, the way you're taught to read that is literally, that's mm -hmm. what God required then. That's what God requires now. And even while fundamentalist churches don't stone gay people to death, usually, um, <laughs> oh, no. they still take, they still take yeah. it quite literally. 
to the extent that mm -hmm. homosexuality is this egregious abomination and it needs to be dealt with. And there's really only two options in a fundamentalist context. It's God's going to heal you. Or if you go ahead and live in this lifestyle, you're damned. You're proving you've never been saved. You're not a part of our community. There's no other option. Um, and clearly, that causes so much mental anguish. Um, I know I, in college, went through conversion therapy. I did my best to try to um, heal my sexuality. And so many people go through things like that in these religious contexts. And when that doesn't work, there is no other option. You have no other option other than leave faith, which again, their theology says, if you don't believe what we believe and belong to our kinds of churches, you're going to burn in hell. So that's that's the weight a lot of LGBT people have to carry as oh, they're yes. considering their church. Or they need to learn how to repress this part of themselves. And lots of folks do that. There are lots of folks that enter into what they call mixed orientation marriages. And oftentimes those relationships, in my experience, become really unhealthy. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, in my previous church I pastored, had a, a man who, gay man who married a woman, they were together for like 60 years. But of course, in the later parts of his life, they, he ended up cheating on his wife. And this becomes just a very toxic and unfair environment mm -hmm. for both people. So all that to say, the fundamentalist path when it comes to sexuality, if you're LGBT, there's really no good option. Um, and, mm -hmm. and that's what causes mental health issues. That's what causes suicidality to arise because there's no path for you to move forward. Yeah, and I think it's just so excruciating to feel that God just hates you because you exist. And that's what how I felt a lot growing up. And it's so frustrating because, you know, in the IFB church, I was always taught it was a choice. So then when I struggled with my sexuality and I realized it wasn't a choice, you know, I had that cognitive dissonance because I had very hateful beliefs when I was younger about LGBTQ people, which is ironic, <laughs> very internalized homophobia, most definitely. Um, so I guess the next question is like, I know you said you struggle with depression around, I think you said 12, wasn't it? Yeah. Did you, did you continue to struggle with your mental health from these toxic teachings in the church? Totally. I mean, even to this day, I still struggle with depression and anxiety and, and a lot of that, I mean, a lot of that is just my toxic upbringing uh, in the family situation. But of course, there's a lot of, again, both you and I seem to have similar stories around this, but like in this religious context, the amount of trauma that I experienced that I am just now starting to process as I'm turning 30, um, from the time I was 12 to the time I was 22, when I was all within evangelicalism, like that does quite a number on somebody's mental health. Again, it's this idea that being gay is a choice or um and if you can't choose to be straight then you're choosing to be aligned with satan you're choosing to be anti-god and for me at about 12 uh, right after i got saved i felt a distinct calling to be a pastor and that became the bigger thing for me i kind of was less worried throughout my childhood about going to hell because i was gay it was more about I couldn't be a pastor, which was what I understood to be my calling. My purpose in life was to, to help other people learn about God's love. And my church told me in no circumstance could I be gay and also be a pastor. And so that's really where for the next 
10 years after I became a Christian, I struggled the most because the one thing I wanted to do more than anything, I was told I couldn't do if I embraced this part of myself. And um, that caused, I mean, all throughout high school and into college, um, a mixture of family trauma and this trauma caused me to have severe panic attacks, um, persistent depression. Uh, and thankfully, I got some good mental health care uh, while I was in college, got on some good medications, and that helped me a lot. But um, like I said, 10 years later, and I'm still dealing with the repercussions mm. of what I experienced. And um, I imagine I'll be dealing with this, this stuff for a while. Yeah, I definitely definitely relate to like about all the trauma because for me when i first heard about religious trauma it really just set up a light bulb i guess you would say in my mind because i had struggled with also with mental health for years and just not knowing why and to know that the root of it was religious trauma and because of these toxic teachings and really just psychological abuse in the church and at home it was hard really, it was a hard thing to realize and accept. And, you know, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so, so like damaged from all of this. I don't know if I even like, if I dig into this, I don't know if I'll ever be the same again, or if it'll be too much. And I'll just want to just die because it's just, not, I was just hopeless situation. It feels like, and, you know, for you, when did you realize how much of your mental health issues were stemming from religious trauma? Yeah, it was in the midst of a season where I was being traumatized all the more. Um, when I, I went off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago to study to be a pastor, and it was in those four years, uh, my freshman year, that I really realized that I was gay, that I struggled, struggled with same-sex attraction, and like it wasn't going away. I had spent all this time trying to serve God, all this time trying to be the best Christian kid I could, dating girls. And when I got to college, um, the first week of my freshman year, I made friends with somebody who lived in my dorm. He took me out for coffee, and this is something that happens at Bible college. You confess your sin struggles with one another and ask for accountability. Uh -huh. So this guy, who became one of my closest friends, took me out to coffee and said, Brandon, I struggle with same-sex attraction. And... When I heard him say that, I was shocked because I thought I was the only one. And yeah. I thought I would never have to deal with this again. By the time I got to college, I was like, I'm now serving God. I'm now on the road to be a pastor. I'm not going to have to deal with homosexuality again. When he said that, I immediately kind of instinctively said, me too. And that unlocked Pandora's box of having another person to talk about this stuff with and wrestle with this stuff with. Um, and over the four years that I was at Moody, like good Christian kids, uh, we confessed our sins to professors um, and like yeah. they shepherded us into conversion therapy practices and like all of that was going on. Um, one professor actually outed me to the faculty and basically oh. said like, you need to watch Brandon because I had a blog and podcast at the time. So I kind of had a public profile that was growing and they knew I was, struggling with sexuality and they were worried uh, what would happen if if that got out um so all of that to say during college i started having panic attacks pretty regularly um i would i processed it as a religious thing i thought it was like demonic and so i would spend so much time we had a closet on our dorm room 
on our dorm floor and I would go into this closet and pray and weep and like mm. be in panic about not being able to overcome these desires um, mm -hmm. despite I wanted I wanted nothing more than to not be gay because I wanted to serve God and I thought that was the only way but it wasn't changing and then mm -hmm. my senior year I did a year of conversion therapy and by the end of it um, and I know a lot of people have had much more traumatic experiences in conversion therapy than I did. Mine was relatively mild. And by the end of the year of conversion therapy, I actually did heal a lot because what we did in conversion therapy was to talk through past trauma. But I realized, yeah, I healed a lot of the trauma I had dealt with. But the one thing that didn't change was my sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so that actually, I think by the grace of God, gave me some stability and fortitude to say when I graduated Moody, like, I've done my work, I'm on medications now, I've worked through some of my trauma, and the one thing I know to be true is that my sexuality isn't changing. And after four years of studying the Bible, I was not convinced that the Bible was clear on this teaching at all. And mm -hmm. so that led me into this new chapter of my life after college that allowed me to start reconstructing and rebuilding my faith. But those four years were really tough and mm. to, as you know to be in a religious community that thinks that homosexuality is one of the worst sins like the pressure i got from my classmates who knew about my struggles the professors who knew about my struggles like there's such a stigma around it there's such mm. a shaming around it um and i probably still haven't unpacked the amount of uh wounding wow. that that caused me but um yeah, it was really only by grace that I got through that and didn't have more mm. severe health issues. Yes, yes, I'm definitely glad you got through it. And I know how hard that can be in that environment. And, you know, it really does surprise me. And I guess you felt that trust that you would be that open about it at Liberty. I think is that what you said? Liberty University is where you went? Okay. Yeah. Oh, got you. Okay. But um, so did you regret telling different people? Just not as like, just for accountability, I think, is re the reason you did that, I guess, or for prayer? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I honestly don't feel a ton of regret about things in life in general. Just like, I feel like all those things helped me to mm -hmm. get to the place where I'm at today. But I do think I would have gone, if I was at Moody today, uh, and I have gotten the chance to talk to students that are gay at Moody mm -hmm. and like, yeah, my advice would be don't, don't go talk to a professor about this. Like the one thing that saved me at Moody was I had enough forethought to, uh, there's a church a few blocks away from Moody that was an LGBT inclusive church. And I started meeting with that pastor in the midst of all of this. And so that helped to counterbalance what I was hearing in the classroom and what my professors were saying to me. And then I would go with this incredible woman pastor named Laura, who would just bring me in her office and say, that's bullshit. Like the stuff you're hearing is ridiculous. And there are other ways to think about this. And you are loved and you are called by God and you can still hold all of these things to be true. And it was those voices in my life that helped me to not veer off into deep darkness um, and yeah, I would definitely, if anybody's listening to this and you're in a Christian college environment, like find voices outside of your environment, people outside of your environment who are willing to support you because 
there are people out there that are willing to support you. And um, frankly, you can't trust a lot of these folks because they're within the environment because their theology makes them believe that they have a responsibility to call you out of your sin. And, um, and that is just a traumatic experience to, have to subject yourself to. Yeah, so definitely. And so for the next question, I wanted to dig just a little more into your experience with conversion therapy. And I know you said that it was more of a mild kind and that it actually, it sounds like, ended up helping you get through just talking about different traumas that happened in your life and how you process them. Um, so I guess my question is, what was the aspect of conversion therapy where they actually tried to change your sexuality? Like, what was that like? Yes, yeah, so I went through a version of conversion therapy called Healing Prayer. Uh, it was created by a woman named Leanne Payne. Um, and essentially, I would meet with this professor who every week I would go in and we would first kind of confess my sins. It was a very like confessional environment. Um, I talk about what I was struggling with and it wasn't judgmental at all. It was like, this is just reality, it's fine. And then we would go, we'd go through a process of praying repentance. Um, but then the, the real part of it that was both helpful and harmful was we would go into this prayer state where we would identify a traumatic experience from my past. Um, and so the example that I, I often talk about was my mom told me that when I was an infant, um, my dad was an alcoholic, I was in the crib, um, she was at work, and I was like weeping and crying in the crib and my dad passed out drunk and I was like crying for hours and I was alone and isolated. My mom came home and found me with swollen eyes from crying and it was just not a good scenario. And so that image came to mind during one of these prayer sessions. And what we would do is kind of go back into that moment in my mind and then imagine Jesus mm -hmm. stepping into that. And Jesus would come over to the crib and pick me up and hold me and comfort me. And this is actually a psychological practice that psychologists do. And it's reliving trauma and like healing the woundings. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was that as we healed each one of these traumatic incidents in my life, we would heal my sexuality because conversion therapy is built on the idea that for men, you had an abusive and distant father and an overattached mother, and mm -hmm. that's what makes you gay. And so if you can heal those woundings, your sexuality would be healed. Um, and so we would imagine Jesus doing that and then pray through that. And she would actually use holy water on me, which was not something fundamentalist wow. to. We did it. Um, and all in all, I walked out and I generally did feel better. And I thought it would heal my sexuality. But like I said, after a year of doing it, I felt I worked through a lot of my pain that I had had past. But as I got healthier through doing that, um, I was more and more certain that like this sexuality is not changing. I feel myself being more whole and healthy and my sexuality is persisting. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that my experience of both healing prayer and conversion therapy in general, like I said, this is not what most people experience. A lot of folks have a much more traumatic experience oh, yes. with much more intense environments. Mine was thankfully, not like that. And the professor, even though she was ex-lesbian herself, she was fairly progressive on other issues. And so mm -hmm. it was, I was spared from a lot of um, 
what a lot of other folks had to go through, but it was still nonetheless traumatic in the sense mm. that yes. being told that if you're not healing, there's something wrong with you. Like there's mm. some sin in your life that you're not dealing with and you're not being honest about. Um, and towards the end of my conversion therapy, another professor who I had to report to about what was going on in conversion therapy basically told me, you're demonic, you're being used by the devil. Wow. You said to our college to deceive people. Oh my I know gosh. that. It, um, and she tried to prevent me from graduating as well. Um, wow. and so, yeah. Anyways, crazy experience, but. Yeah, I'm so sorry that happened. Like, I'm sure that's hard. Someone looking at you and telling you that you're from the devil. Um, how yeah. old were you when you went through conversion therapy? I'm so bad at numbers. Um, I was senior year of college, so I was probably 21, 2021. Okay, got you. And so during that time, what realizations or epiphanies did you have about yourself and your beliefs? Frankly, the thing that I learned my senior year, not even just from conversion therapy, therapy but from everything that was happening, because oh. over the course of four years, Moody tried to expel me six times because I was public, I had a blog and a podcast where I was interviewing more liberal people. So they assumed that because I was talking to liberal people, I was becoming more liberal, which wasn't true at the time, but it is true. And now that those conversations did change me significantly. Um, and so they would threaten me with expulsion. And I realized over those four years that my faith, this evangelical faith mm -hmm. was rooted in fear. It was mm. all about, it was, yes. we're afraid of God. We're afraid of God's judgment. And if you're not afraid of God, there's something wrong with you. And I distinctly remember after walking out of a meeting with the Dean of Students who told me, we just don't want you leaving here and starting to wave rainbow flags. And so that was how he got me into conversion therapy. He was like, you need to commit to us that you're not gonna leave here and go be gay. So do this conversion therapy and then maybe you'll graduate. I walked out of that meeting and went back up to my room and opened up my Bible like a good pastoral ministry student. And I read First John, which says, mm -hmm. God is love and perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with judgment. That's literally what the scripture says, that anywhere fear is present, especially fear of judgment, it's antithetical to God. And in that moment of reading that, it, it was like a spiritual awakening. It was, this thing I'm a part of is not of God. This kind of faith, this community does not represent the true God revealed in Jesus because that God is love. And that God says, fear mm -hmm. is not of God. Um, and that realization, I think, is what helped me endure relatively well a year of conversion therapy and a year of abuse from faculty. Wow. It helped me leave Moody and come back to Washington, D.C., and I spent a summer basically recalibrating my faith and life and coming to terms with the fact that I don't even want to be a part of evangelicalism anymore because it's not authentic Christianity. Um, and I think that realization of reframing how I view God and how I understand God, mm -hmm. that opened me up to be able to reconstruct my faith and also move past the trauma that evangelicalism called, caused me mm -hmm. uh, and to be in this progressive faith space. Yes. And so regarding your beliefs, 
at the time, what beliefs did you deconstruct? While I was at Moody, the only belief that I really deconstructed was I struggled with the idea of inerrancy, that every word of the Bible was literally true. And it wasn't until after I left Moody, graduated, came home, that I spent some time doing real theological research and like reading books over that summer and realizing that I was right. <laughs> Inerrancy is not a historic Christian doctrine and it's just not true. There are things in the Bible that are actually not accurate. And once you pull that thread, um, the entirety of evangelical faith, the entirety of fundamentalist faith is based on that. And so everything else started coming into question. Like, well, if that's true, then are the gospel accounts historically true? And what do we actually know about Jesus? And who is Jesus? And like, you start asking all of these kind of questions and anybody who's gone through deconstruction knows that that's a, at once a very scary process mm, to be like, yes. oh my God, I got to rethink all of this. But it's also a very liberating process, especially if you have, as I did, the undergirding that God is love. And so I have nothing to be afraid of. So anytime I found myself being afraid of questioning something or being afraid of exploring a new belief, I was like, that fear is not of God. So I need to push that fear aside and dive in and explore. And, mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until probably a year after Moody that I finally came to the conclusion that the Bible didn't condemn homosexuality. Um, and I went off to and got a master's degree in theology, spent three years studying sexuality in the Bible just to make sure I was right. Um, and yeah, after that really had a new confidence that the Bible wasn't condemning of LGBT relationships and that there was a way to be Christian that people didn't know about um, that was fully inclusive. And mm -hmm. that led me to where I am today. Oh, yes. So, you know, for example, at Bob Jones University, I'm still friends with people there. And I know LGBTQ plus people who are still trapped in that kind of environment. And, you know, I've met with some of them trying to encourage them. And I don't know if you've heard of this book, but it's called This I Know by Jim Dant. And it's a very <laughs> short pamphlet type book, just about like quick defenses of verses that evangelicals use as anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. And, you know, after reading it and learning about the historical context behind some of these clobber verses that they use, even though seeing the context removed the lies that they push behind it, it's still so hard to get rid of those feelings around it. Um, because, you know, I've shared that book with many LGBTQ friends and they'll read it and they're still not convinced, even though rationally they've seen the arguments, but emotionally, like that trauma is still there and they've been conditioned to really hate themselves and to repress themselves. And so for people who are struggling to deconstruct those beliefs, even though they might read the historical context and the truth behind it, still might struggle to accept that. What advice do you have for those? The biggest thing is to not do this on your own, um, because you're right. It's not theology that makes us feel ashamed, primarily. Theology is, 
primarily a mental game. And like you said, you can unlearn theology and learn new ways of thinking about it, but it's the experiential uh, pain of rejection or the fear of rejection from your mm -hmm. community. Um, like you described to me before we got on here, your upbringing very similar to me once I got into the church. The church was my life. These were my friends, this is where I spent most of my time, this is where I want it to be. And so thinking about if I choose, quote unquote, my sexuality, I'm going to lose my world. This is my world. So I can know and come to the conclusion that the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality, but I still have a choice. Do I want to leave this community? That's everything I know. And so I would recommend like I said, the one thing that saved me, and I think the thing that people don't do because they're afraid, but they need to do, is find an affirming community. Mm. Like there are yes. affirming communities around you, I promise you. And even like, I lead a digital church right now, and there are many digital affirming communities that are fully online. Get in a group of people, start forming a support system mm -hmm. outside of your current environment. Um, and even if you end up disagreeing, like you don't have to become a progressive to be LGBT inclusive. There are many evangelicals who have also come to this conclusion. So that's, that's a whole other conversation, but <laughs> you just need some people around you that are gonna stand with you when and if you are rejected or you do mm -hmm. go through the worst of the pain. Um, and like I said, that pastor in that church up the street from Moody, they were there for me. And I knew mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, if Moody kicked me out, if I got expelled, I could go to that church and they would have put me up in a home and been yeah. like, let's, let's figure this out for you. And yeah. there are communities like that everywhere. And so you just need to have a new experience of what it feels like to be fully affirmed for who you are um, and not only believe that the only way to be a Christian is to be a Christian within these environments that are gonna condemn you or yeah. shame you um, as you journey towards self-acceptance. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree a lot with that because really, because I saw it affirming places, that's really why I was able to escape because I still live in Greenville, South Carolina with a family that took me in that I met my freshman year of college while I was looking for affirming spaces. So yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this <laughs> if... I hadn't met them and you know in my interview with joshua harris you know i get really personal and i talk about how like if i never found that affirming space and found that family like i don't think i would be alive at all today i think i would have committed suicide and i would just be another statistic basically and that's why you know i feel like it's so important for people who have been through these different experiences with religious trauma and being lgbt in the church to help really speak up and help those who are really suffering in silence with just religious trauma and also struggling with their sexual identity. And Absolutely. so, you know, and really, uh, there were a lot of like issues I had to uncover um, in therapy, <laughs> um, which I've been in for a couple of months now. But the hard realization for me was that or really thing to accept was that I never had any true community growing up. And when I was talking to my therapist, I was like, I don't know why I felt like I was so lonely. I'm like, I was surrounded by so many people. Like I socialized and he, my therapist was like, Andrew, he's like, you have to give and receive love. If you don't get love back, like he's like, that's not community. 
He's like, as human beings, we need that reciprocated. And he's like, yes, you can talk to a bunch of people and get that social interaction. But if you do not feel loved and accepted, that is going to majorly hurt your mental health and psychological well-being in general. Because as human beings, we need that love and acceptance. And, you know, I know for people who are listening, it can be really scary to go into those new spaces and when i did it i was literally all by myself (laughs) and i took an uber to a church and it was scary but i don't regret it and of course there's just the fear of rejection i know which is hard to get over but remember these places are affirming and really when i went to affirming church it was like the first time in a church i felt love which is really sad that I spent my whole life not really feeling that. And then it then it took me till I was college to go to a progressive church that I was told growing up was like of the devil and was evil and bad and backwards to find that I felt love in that place, love and accepted. And yeah. really like it caused cognitive dissonance again, because, you know, when you're talking about your deconstruction, when you had that spiritual awakening of like, oh my gosh, this is not authentic Christianity. This is fear, judgment, and control. And and it is really hard to get past it because you, you, you grow up indoctrinated really. And you have so many people around you telling you that they're right and their way is the right way. And it's hard to get around that. And, you know, in my deconstruction journey, you know, and I've been very open that like, I don't identify as Christian anymore. Um, I, I tried to like deconstruct parts of Christianity and keep better parts, but there was so much religious trauma. And to me, like when I describe it to people, it's like a parasite that was attached to all of Christianity. I was trying to get rid of and like I was discipled at Bob Jones for like a whole semester and that counselor eventually wanted to change it into conversion therapy and so after being discipled for a semester and really digging deeper into scriptures and I just I really wanted to listen to this man and his knowledge because he had studied a lot I'm like I want to generally learn like I want to know what this really is all about before I even decide if I want to stay with this or not, because fundamentalist Christianity was something I was born into. It wasn't really a choice for me. Like I would have suffered a lot if I would have rejected it from a young age. So my survival depended on accepting it. And I think that was hard to realize that a lot of it was about survival. And I talked to this counselor a lot about how toxic the fundamentalist church was how traumatized i was by it and like all the discrimination and hateful experiences i experienced in these environments and this biblical counselor ended up just after i spilled my heart out to him just telling me that i was just paying for my sin so basically saying that i deserved it to happen and that was really hard and like for me i feel like that was the last straw and To me, I could not, I think it's incredible that you've been able to accept your sexuality and still, you know, identify as a Christian, have both of those parts and that you were able to find, you know, to a good affirming space. 
And, you know, to me, I don't think there's one thing as like a one deconstruction path that people have to do. Whenever I talk to people, I'm like, it's whatever is best for your mental health and well-being. I'll have several people like talk, DM me about how to deconstruct. And, you know, it's it's different for everyone. Some people, they need or want that part of their faith. Some of them need to leave it for their mental health. But like only you know what's best for you. No one else can tell you that. And, you know, you might leave it for a long time then come back one day too that's possible like you don't always have to like stick with just one decision and be like i'm sticking with this the rest of my life no like learn to be flexible and learn new things and seek community and knowledge from others and as you deconstruct and really heal and i feel like that's hard for people who are indoctrinated in these systems because we're taught really not to think for ourselves we can't trust ourselves we're totally depraved and evil so even for me, just taking that first step to learn to listen to my body and myself and recognize my needs was really hard to do and took a lot of deconstructing to even get to that point to do that. Um, but I know it's been quite a process for you to deconstruct your beliefs and, you know, reconstruct Christianity. And I know we could talk about this for hours. So <laughs> what I want to ask is what beliefs do you hold about Christianity now? Like, I'm just going to name a bunch of like doctrines, for example, that you can like touch on. So for example, like Jesus dying on the cross and heaven and hell, like what do you believe about those things? Yeah. Well, what I'll say is this is, um, I use the label Christian because it's, I think Christianity, the one thing we haven't talked about a lot in American Christianity is that Christianity is as much of a religion, or I should say as a culture as it is a religion. And I grew up in a Christian culture. The language of Christianity is the language I know how to speak. Um, and so, but when it comes to actual beliefs and doctrines, I've been very clear that I'm not Orthodox. I don't care to align with any system of belief that any church says is required to mm -hmm. be saved or whatever. Um, and I also identify as an agnostic. So I've done a, a lot of work around this oh, Christian yes. agnostic, um, which is this idea that I'm a cultural Christian. That's the language I know how to speak. That's the metaphors I know how to use. Mm -hmm. I know how to talk about Jesus. And I do find Jesus helpful because mm -hmm. When I talk in, in the Western world, everybody knows who I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jesus. And when we talk about the miracles of Jesus or the stories of his life, it's easy for people to connect mm -hmm. to that. So I think there's a way in which Christianity can still be helpful. Um, mm -hmm. But when it comes to individual doctrines and theology, um, I take a very historical approach to who Jesus was and mm -hmm. all of that. So we talk mm -hmm. about dying on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because he posed a threat to the Roman Empire and what the Roman Empire did to anybody who posed a threat to them, they killed them. Um, I don't think it was to appease the wrath of an angry God. I don't think Jesus thought that he was the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. I think that was all later Christian theology that developed after Jesus. What inspires me about Jesus is that he's a political revolutionary in the first century living under an oppressive, oppressive empire. And he came up with a subversive way to overturn injustice and to help liberate his people. And instead of waging a war and trying to 
brutally kill Romans in order to free his people, which is what a lot of people in his day did. Jesus said, actually, we can be more creative about this. If we love each other, if we form communities where we take care of each other and we don't have to rely on the Roman Empire anymore, that's how we start building what he called the kingdom of God, which was just the world as he believed it was supposed to be, a just and equal world. So when people hear me articulate that, that's not Christianity. That's Jesus as a historical political mm -hmm. figure trying to make the world a better place. And so I, that's how I view Christianity primarily. My Christianity is about, I study Jesus. I want us to keep thinking about and talking about Jesus because I think he had some very helpful things to say. Um, but all the theology, we can talk about that. And I love talking about that, but we can't know any of that. There's no way to know what happens after we die. There's no way to prove whether or not God exists. There's no way to know whether Jesus was the literal incarnation of God or whether he rose from the dead on the third day. None of that is provable. None of that is knowable. And so we can talk about it. You can believe it. But that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is how do we live a meaningful life that helps make the world a better place? And I think Jesus has some useful things to say about that. But I'm also open to learning and listening and embracing other paths. And if somebody watched my life on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm reading and interacting with all sorts of different ways to make meaning um, and different spiritual paths. And so in one sense, it's not true to say that I'm Christian in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it, the last thing I'll say on this is I also hold on to people to piss off those who think they own the label. Because the truth is, Christianity has always been diverse. There's always been a million different kinds mm. of Christianity. Yeah. So I don't want to give it because I don't want the fundamentalists to get to say they're the Christians and everyone else is not, because that's just not true. And so no. part of it is the resistance to that. Yes, most definitely. And you know, I once I started deconstructing and really, I think it was around a year ago that I, I really just started calling fundamentalists modern day Pharisees <laughs> because I see such a correlation between fundamentalist and behavior of the Pharisees in the Bible. And it's so interesting to me when you say your beliefs, because like that's really similar to what I believe, even though I don't have the label Christian, I am definitely ag agnostic. Um, you know, I don't, there's no way to prove God, but I do believe that there's some kind of power, higher power out there of some kind. I don't, there's no way to prove it. It's just like an intuitive thing for me. And I'm okay with not wanting to prove it or needing that certainty around it. I'm okay with being uncertain about it. And, you know, I think it is great how you talk about really what most people don't know in these environments that they're indoctrinated into that Christianity has changed so much throughout the centuries as people just readjusted really culture at the time affected it so as culture has changed christianity has changed because people change yeah. and you know it's interesting because i know you've gotten a lot of backlash online from conservatives and i've even seen videos of cons different conservative commentators just like oh this TikTok preacher can you believe he said this <laughs> And so I think one of your controversial things was like where you had said that Jesus is not the only way. 
revolutionary as if I'm the first person to have said that. But and yes. you're not, you're not. And so when you say that, you know, now that you say your beliefs, you know, you just take Jesus from a historical perspective. So, you know, you don't even believe in like heaven or hell that, or that he was a God man that came down, you know, that's just a story that man, man combined, I guess you would say historical with fiction together to create yeah. this story. And so none of for you, you're like, okay, like, well, there's no proof that heaven and hell exist. And so when you say that Jesus isn't the only way, do you really mean that there are other spiritual paths to take? Yeah, a lot of what I do on TikTok and a lot of what I do in general is some of the things that helped me deconstruct throughout my life was hearing a preacher just say the thing that my church told me you're not supposed to say. And so I, like, during Moody, I was, uh, Rob Bell mentored me over the course of a few years. Once he heard that I was struggling with um, my faith and, like, with Moody kicking me out, and folks know Rob Bell's this very controversial former evangelical pastor who wrote a book that said hell didn't exist. And, um, and like, seeing Rob just be able to get into interviews with people and just just say these things, like not beat around the bush. Lots of people trying to nuance this so that they don't offend more traditional Christians. I just want to say what I actually believe is true. And I don't think that you need to believe in Jesus in order to go to some heaven when you die. And I don't think God's going to judge you for not believing in Jesus. And so on TikTok, my approach is when I just say what I believe and watch the conservative response in apologetic against themselves, right? So it was literally a headline on the Christian post. TikTok pastor says Jesus isn't the only way. It's like, what in the world, where do you live that that is <laughs> that you need spread? Like what they're doing is showing how disconnected from the world they are, disconnected from the suffering mm -hmm. and war and everything else that's happening in the world. And that's helping people, I think. I get so many messages and comments on TikTok of people being like, because of this video, I started going down this path and asking questions. And now I've discovered either a new way of being Christian or I've walked away from fundamentalism. They mm -hmm. don't realize that their reaction is actually causing people yeah. to be. <laughs> it's kind of part of my strategy to be like, I just <sighs> and I, I love these people freak out, but that's <laughs> gonna help do what we need to do. So. Yes. And you know, since leaving fundamentalist Christianity, you know. I've decided to become a therapist and eventually a psychologist and like learning the psychology behind fundamentalism and just cults in general has been so fascinating to me. And, you know, there are a lot of like avenues to pick in like psychotherapy and I'm considering being a cult expert. <laughs> I'm not sure yet if I'm going to settle on that or not. It seems a perfect fit for me. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that. But when I see this happening with this backlash, I'm like, I realize that really these specific doctrines and beliefs and fears that they've had, you know, since fundamentalism really, really pushed it, it's been their way to control and manipulate people. And so if they're really scared that like, you know, especially Gen Z and millennials too, are just walking away from these traditional doctrines or traditional forms of religion and you know it's interesting because conservatives like to paint especially gen z and like millennials how we're just godless 
terrible people walking away from God. And it's like, no, it's like with studies, a lot of us are very spiritual still, but no, we don't subscribe to your traditional way of looking at things. You know, we're, we're, we're more spiritual seekers, really. Yeah. We're seeking. And the difference with like the fundamentalist is like they're spiritual dwellers. They believe spirituality is in like one place, one setting that has all the set answers or seekers. They believe that like God can be found anywhere in almost everything. And there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty around being a spiritual seeker. And that's what scares a lot of people. And so that's why fundamentalists love their dwelling, spiritual dwelling, because it gives them that feeling of certainty. And so, you know, I am really grateful for the work that you are doing and just, just spreading love and light and really like freeing people from the bondage of the law, really, but, but like what Jesus did. <laughs> and I would say too, like, you know, even though I don't, I also agree that I don't believe um, in Jesus as like the son of God to save sins. I still do too. I look up to how he stood up to these um, legalistic Pharisees <clears throat> who are using religion to oppress people. And, you know, really, that's what I see a lot of us doing in the deconstruction community is that we are trying to get this to stop people from being oppressed by these laws, this weight, this fear, yeah. guilt, and manipulation. We're trying to help them lift that burden off their backs because we've all had to do that ourselves because a lot of us have had a lot of burdens just piled and piled on. And totally. most definitely. And so... How do you deal with the haters, <laughs> all that backlash? Yeah, I think for me, on one hand, and it's probably sad to have to say it this way, but uh, I've gotten used to it. It's been happening for oh. so long uh -huh. um, that, like, again, to me, it's actually funny at this point. So, like, <laughs> like the big thing right now, I did a video a year ago where I took the Lazarus story, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I used it as a coming out sermon because he says, Lazarus, come out. That's what he says uh, to raise him from the dead. And I said, that's a metaphor for God calling gay people out of the closets of shame, like Lazarus was in his tomb. Um, and it's hilarious to me. Like this morning I was looking, there's yeah. a whole video that's like, it's got a half a million views. This guy critiquing me for saying that as if I actually believe Jesus was helping Lazarus come out as gay. Like, that's not what I was saying. Yeah, he was disconnected from metaphor. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, to be able to watch people freak out about that and be like, we just live in two different worlds. And I actually, I actually have empathy. And I would, as That's people good. heal from the trauma, I hope we can all have some empathy because the reason people cling to fundamentalism is we live in a really scary world and mm -hmm. there's nothing about our world right now people no. are worried about nuclear bombs in russia and like all yeah. sorts of things so mm. it makes sense to me that there are people that are like i need to cling to something that's going to give me stability and hope yes and, mm -hmm. and frankly i miss it on this side of deconstruction like <laughs> to be in a place where i don't have any i don't have any objective proof that everything's going to be okay in the end for everyone yeah like so i can and I emphasize think Yes. yes. And for me, that's conclusions that I've been coming to, because as I've been reading about religious fundamentalism, 
there is sometimes a part of me that has like a sad thing like oh wow like i wish i had that you know what i mean mm -hmm. but it was no longer healthy for me honestly and so i feel like two things can be true at the same time you can still be happy and healthy without the that belief system but part of you can still miss that little benefit of certainty and yeah. you know really these fundamentalists they can't really they can't prove any of their stuff is objectively true they just really convince themselves that it is and and really to me i look at it and i'm like you know what i'm like if that helps someone get up every single day why would i want to take that away from them i'm like if people want to believe that that's fine and you know i don't attack um fundamentalists and their like beliefs you know, I definitely call them out because that's what I grew up in. And I think fundamentalism is inherently toxic, but I do have that compassionate to understanding for them of where they're coming from. And for me, the difference is that's fine if you want to believe what you want to believe. But when you cross that line of trying to force that onto other people and discriminate against other people, that's when I'm like, okay, like I'm definitely going to call you out and <laughs> expose this most definitely. That distinction is so important. I would say my experience is that the vast majority of conservative Christians are actually really lovely people who mm -hmm. are uncomfortable with mm -hmm. some of their own beliefs. And like, even like families that have gay kids, like mm -hmm. there are a lot of bad stories, but there's also a lot of fundamentalists that are like, I don't agree with this and I don't know what to do with this, but I'm going to love you anyways. And that's not the best way, but like, I think yes we should always critique fundamentalism as a toxic system but realize mm -hmm. that a lot of people in it are actually not represented by these terrible pastors and leaders mm -hmm. and institutions and yeah and so that's the only thing that keeps me from like the new atheist movement there's a lot of all religions just evil all people who are religious are evil and it's like mm -hmm. no it's just not true mm -hmm. so i want to have the tension you talked about i want to have both and that I want to critique fundamentalism and bad Christianity all the yeah. time. Mm -hmm. And I want to also acknowledge that some there are always going to be fundamentalist Christians. Mm -hmm. So let's help encourage them to mm -hmm. just be loving as they hold these beliefs that we mm -hmm. disagree with while we move on and have our own different spiritual path. But uh -huh. it's a tension, both ends. Right? Yes. Yeah. So as we get more towards the end of our um, interview, I have two more questions. And the first one is what is like, if you could define what is your main mission right now? Yeah. Um, I'm an evangelist, which is triggering. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I am. I, and I would have never used that word except TikTok. I see it. I've seen it for the past two years in my comments almost every day. People say, atheists say, if you exist, if your kind of Christianity was the kind of Christianity I grew up in, I would still be a Christian. Or, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, or like, you are, have helped me not leave my faith. I'm not interested in keeping Christianity going, but what I am interested in is the values of Jesus, the historical figure, I think are really good values for us to model our lives after. And yeah. if I can convince people to get rid of all the toxic religious bullshit mm -hmm. and hold on to love your neighbor as yourself mm -hmm. and uh, reach out to the poor and the oppressed like that that's a win for me because that's what i'm trying to do in my life i want to be more like that um 
And so my mission is to pull people out of or help people begin thinking in new ways about Christianity beyond their toxic religious uh, environment and usher them into a new way of understanding spirituality. Some of mm-hmm. them leave faith. Great. Even yeah. as a pastor, I would say, I would say our church is a revolving door. Like you come here, do your deconstruction. And if you leave and decide that you're an atheist, great. I'm so happy for you. Like go be healthy. And yes. if you decide you're going to be a progressive Christian, great. I'm so happy for you. Be healthy. But I just want to help people move from toxic religion to a better way of being religious if they're going to remain religious. Uh, mm. I think that's how I articulate what I what I do. Yes, yes, I love that. And I think a lot of backlash that comes around deconstruction when people say that they leave Christianity and they're like, oh my gosh, like you're not following Christ's teachings anymore. Like, oh, you're a bad person. And the thing is though, that's not really true. Because a lot of people who do lead those faiths is really, like you said, that religious bullshit that's been added on and put onto them through these toxic systems. So like for me, like I can still follow Jesus teachings and not be a Christian. Like, you know, that's how I feel about it. It's like, like I said, there are things I admire about Jesus, but you know, I don't identify as that. And I think for me, I'm still getting around the concept that people can be Christian without being conservative fundamentalist. That's something I'm still getting out of my system and doing that unconditioning or deprogramming basically yeah. um, because I've been indoctrinating that for so long. And, you know, it's so interesting because in my life, I've never felt more at peace really um, because it, I, I feel like, you know, I have a very strong intuition and I feel like I know my purpose. And, you know, this show is a part of my purpose and being on social media and just helping different people. And it's really great to wake up every day and to know your purpose. And if you and if me, we can help people, you know, discover them, their best selves and live their best life and that their purpose, that's great. And but I don't want to force I don't want to get to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I live my life this way. This is how you should live it. You should do it this way. No, I don't want to, I don't want to get to that point. Like, I don't want to jump fundamentalisms to a different, like become an agnostic fundamentalist because it can go into different belief systems. So definitely. Um, So I think it's incredible the mission that you have. And so for my last question, I would say, what advice do you have for people who are stuck in these toxic religious environments? Yeah, I'll probably just repeat the verse that changed my life. Um, anything that is causing you to fear, mm. whether or not you God, I would say anything that's causing you to fear is not of truth. It's not mm-hmm. of God. It's not of life. Um, and theology, religion, spirituality, it's an art. It's not a science. Mm-hmm. And so be free to be creative with this. Be free to explore. Be free to read and try other things and try other paths because if God is with you and I believe God is in and through and for all people, Mm -hmm. God's gonna always lead you towards truth. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need to function in a system of fear to avoid everything and everyone that has a different worldview. Actually, when you go out and explore, that's where I think you're going to find God mm-hmm. in unexpected, unexpected places. One of my other favorite verses, Jesus says in John chapter three, the spirit mm-hmm. is like, the light. 
No one knows where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus says, if you are born of the spirit, your path is gonna be winding. No one knows where it comes or where it goes. It's not straight and narrow. It's as wild as the wind. That's Jesus's own teaching about the spiritual life. And mm -hmm. I would encourage people to be emboldened, to step mm -hmm. beyond the boundaries of your rigid religion mm -hmm. and to explore other ways of thinking and being in the world. And if you do, I promise you, you will find God in unexpected places. You will find health and authenticity mm -hmm. in ways you don't believe you've never believed are possible. And you will find yourself more at peace and more walking in purpose than you ever will if you stay within the box of a rigid religious worldview. So. Oh, yes, I love that. Um, yeah, before we end again, I just want to thank you so much, Brandon, for coming on the show. It's definitely been an encouragement to me to hear your story and your beliefs and really what you went through and how you're helping other people. And so for listeners, um, I'm just going to say that you can follow Brandon on TikTok. Um, he has a lot of awesome videos on there and responses to a lot of comments. And I'll be sure to link your socials in the bio. Um, and so I know TikTok is a great platform that you're on. Are there other ways people can reach you? The easiest way is just brandonrobertson.com that has all social media, all my books, all my writing, mm -hmm. contact. Um, so yeah, the website's easiest. But. All right, awesome. All right, thank you, Brandon, um, for coming on this show. And we are now at the end of the official first episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day. This podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.